feeling suitably refreshed and ready to get your cranial nerves back on? So if you remember, last time we spoke about all things optic nerve, which is very often an oscustation in itself. Today, let's delve into the remainder. So let's rewind it back to cranial nerve 1, the olfactory nerve, which is a sensory nerve responsible for smell, and can very simply be assessed by asking the patient if they've noticed any changes in their sense of smell recently. Sometimes you may be provided with a sample solution, such as coffee or peppermint, to assess their smell more formally. An impaired sense of smell may be observed classically in Parkinson's disease, but also in simple colds and mucus blockage, and of course, that pesky COVID. Cranial nerve 3, the oculomotor nerve, along with cranial nerve 4, the trochlear nerve, and cranial nerve 6, the abducens nerve, are responsible for innervating the extraocular eye muscles and should be assessed together. The oculomotor nerve is also responsible for innervating the sphincter pupillae and is involved in pupillary constriction, as we've already touched on, as well as levator palpebri superioris, which is responsible for eyelid opening. The oculomotor nerve also innervates four of the six extraocular muscles, with the exception of the superior oblique muscle, which is innervated by the trochlear nerve and is responsible for downward gaze and intorsion, i.e. looking towards your nose, and the lateral rectus, which is innervated by the abducens nerve and is responsible for, as the name suggests, abducting the eye. The way to examine these nerves is to ask the patient to keep their head steady and to follow your finger as you draw an H pattern in the air, approximately 30 centimetres away from them. It's important to inquire if they have any pain or double vision and observe for any nystagmus suggestive of a stroke or vestibular nerve pathology. Clinically, the most important thing to look for is an oculomotor nerve palsy. Damage to the oculomotor nerve means the lateral rectus and superior oblique muscles can work unopposed, manifesting as a down-and-out appearance of the eye. Patients may also have ptosis and mydriasis due to denervation of levator palpebri superioris and sphincter pupillae. Cranial nerve 5, the trigeminal nerve, is one of only four cranial nerves to have both a motor and sensory component along with cranial nerves 7, 9 and 10, and therefore it's important to perform both a motor and sensory assessment. The trigeminal nerve transmits sensory information about facial sensation and motor information about the muscles of chewing or mastication, such as the pterygoids, masseter and temporalis. The trigeminal nerve contains three divisions, each of which carries sensory information for roughly a third of the face, the ophthalmic division for the top third, the maxillary division for the middle third and the mandibular division for the bottom third. These can be assessed by asking the patient if they can feel your touch, using both light touch and pinprick, at various points of their face. The forehead to assess the ophthalmic division, the cheek to assess the maxillary division and the chin to assess the mandibular division. The mandibular division of the trigeminal nerve also innervates the muscles of mastication. These can be assessed by looking for temporalis or masseter muscle wasting in the temples and posterior jaw, palpating the masseter as you ask the patient to clench their teeth, and asking the patient to open their mouth against resistance which assesses the lateral pterygoids. An inability to do so, or deviation of the jaw towards the side of the lesion, may suggest a trigeminal nerve palsy. There are a couple of reflexes you should also test or offer to test when examining the trigeminal nerve. These are the jaw jerk reflex, in which both the afferent and efferent pathways involve the trigeminal nerve, and the corneal reflex, in which the afferent pathway involves the trigeminal nerve 
and the efferent pathway involves the facial nerve. The jaw jerk involves tapping on your finger against the patient's chin with their mouth slightly open, with an exaggerated upward movement of the jaw and complete closure of the mouth denoting an upper motor neuron lesion. You probably won't be expected to perform the corneal reflex, but you should be able to talk it through. This involves stroking a wisp of cotton wool against the patient's cornea. Under normal circumstances, you would expect both a direct and consensual reflexive closure of the eyelids. Failure to do so may suggest either trigeminal or facial nerve dysfunction. Cranial nerve 7, the facial nerve, again has both a motor and sensory component to it. The sensory assessment is nice and simple. The facial nerve is responsible for taste in the anterior two-thirds of the tongue, so you should ask if the patient has noted any changes in their sense of taste. The facial nerve also supplies the nerve to the stapedius muscle, paralysis of which may lead to hyperacusis or sounds being heard louder than usual. So paradoxically, although you're asking if they've noticed any change in their sense of hearing, you're actually assessing their motor function. The main function of the facial nerve is to innovate the muscles of facial expression. An inspection may reveal asymmetry in the patient's forehead wrinkles, nasolabial folds or the angle of their mouth. There are a bunch of muscles in the face which can be assessed by asking the patient to perform movements. Asking them to raise their eyebrows assesses frontalis, for example. Asking them to clench their eyes shut assesses orbicularis oculi. And puffing out their cheeks assesses orbicularis oris. Similarly, uh, smiling tests the levator angularis and zygomaticus major. And pursing their lips again tests orbicularis oris as well as buccinator. I know you probably won't thank me for this Latin lesson, so the main thing to take home is to really test the range of motion of the patients by asking them to do several movements for facial expression. Clinically, the main thing to look for in examining the facial nerve is whether the lesion is an upper motor neuron lesion, most commonly a stroke, or a lower motor neuron lesion, most commonly Bell's palsy. Upper motor neuron lesions are classically forehead sparing since the upper facial, upper facial muscles are bilaterally innervated. Patients with upper motor neuron lesions can therefore continue to raise their eyebrows on the side of the lesion since the frontalis muscle is preserved, unlike in Bell's palsy, wherein the ipsilateral forehead is affected. Cranial nerve 8, the vestibular cochlear nerve, is purely a sensory nerve and is responsible for transmitting information about hearing and balance. When examining the vestibular cochlear nerve, Really, you're assessing the balance or vestibular part and the auditory part separately. The vestibular system can be assessed in one of two ways. The first is the turning test or Unterberger test, wherein the patient is requested to march on the spot with their eyes closed. Patients who turn to one side may suggest vestibular dysfunction on the same side. Similarly, you can look for the vestibular ocular reflex. This involves taking the patient's head in your hand and passively moving their head first to one side and then the other, all the while asking them to fix their gaze on your nose. Under normal circumstances, their gaze should remain fixed despite the change in their head position. In vestibular impairment, however, their gaze will first shift in the direction of head movement and then a corrective refixation saccade occurs and their eyes are recentered. Needless to say, it's important to make sure the patient doesn't have any pain in their neck before doing this. Assessing hearing can be done in three parts. First, perform a gross hearing assessment. Stand behind the patient, 
mask the ear not being tested by rubbing the tragus or ruffling your fingers, and whisper a number from approximately 60 metres away before repeating on the other side. You may need to repeat this at half the distance depending on if the patient's able to hear you or not at 60. Next, perform Renee's test using a 512 Hz tuning fork, also known as the smaller one. This involves vibrating the tuning fork and placing it first against the patient's mastoid process just behind their ear and then in front of their ear. Air conduction should be greater than bone conduction and therefore under normal circumstances the sound should be heard louder when placed in front of the ear than on the mastoid. Unhelpfully, a normal result is known as Rene's positive. If bone conduction is heard louder than air conduction, this suggests a conductive hearing loss on that side. Importantly though, air conduction being louder than bone conduction doesn't necessarily mean a normal result and may suggest a sensory neural hearing loss, which is why it's important to follow this up with Weber's test. Weber's test involves again vibrating the tuning fork and this time placing it against the centre of the patient's forehead. Ordinarily, sound should be heard equally bilaterally. If the sound is heard greater on one side, this suggests either conductive hearing loss on that side or sensory neural hearing loss on the other side. The best way to think about this is by going through an example. So if you have a patient in whom bone conduction is greater than air conduction on the left side when doing the Rinne's test, you'd be suspecting left-sided conductive hearing loss, right? You follow this up with Weber's test and voila, the sound is heard better on the left. Left-sided conductive hearing loss confirmed. Now you have a patient in whom air conduction is better than bone conduction in both sides. How can you be sure they don't have sensory neural hearing loss though? Well, you do the Weber's test and to your surprise, the sound localizes to the right side. What does this mean? Well, sensory neural hearing loss on the left side. Now I'm mindful of the fact that I've gone on a bit today, so I'll hurry things up a little. Cranial nerves nine and 10 have both a motor and sensory component and sort of have similar functions, so are usually assessed together. Cranial nerve nine, the glossopharyngeal nerve, elevates the pharynx during speech and swallowing and is responsible for taste in the posterior third of the tongue. The vagus nerve, meanwhile, transmits motor information to the muscles of the mouth involved in speech and is involved in the sensory or afferent portion of the gag reflex. To examine the nerves, ask the patient if they've had any changes in their swallowing or voice. Also ask them to open their mouth and inspect the uvula. A vagal nerve lesion may cause deviation of the uvula away from the side of the lesion due to asymmetrical elevation of the palate. A weak, non-explosive cough may also be heard due to an inability to close the glottis. You may also perform a swallow assessment with a cough or change in voice on swallowing a sip of water denoting a problem with both the glossopharyngeal and vagus nerves. Similarly, you may be expected to talk through the gag reflex, although it's very unpleasant and it's unlikely you'll actually have to do it. An absent gag reflex on stimulation of the tongue again suggests problem with the afferent pathway mediated by the glossopharyngeal nerve and the efferent pathway mediated by the vagus nerve. We'll fast forward for a moment to cranial nerve 12 or the hypoglossal nerve. The hypoglossal nerve is a purely motor nerve responsible for innovating the extrinsic muscles of the tongue. Look for wasting and fasciculation in the tongue and deviation towards the side of the lesion. You can also place your finger on the patient's cheek and ask them to push against it with their tongue to look for any weakness. 
saving the best till last, cranial nerve 11, or the accessory nerve. This is again a pure motor nerve, which innervates the sternocleidomastoid and trapezius muscles in the neck. The trapezius muscle can be assessed by asking the patient to shrug their shoulders against resistance, and an inability to do so may suggest an accessory nerve palsy. On the other hand, the sternocleidomastoid can be assessed by asking the patient to turn their head from side to side against resistance. Again, failure to do so could suggest accessory nerve palsy. You should finish by thanking the patient for their time, wash your hands, and begin the mad scramble to remember what the hell it was you just did for the last eight minutes. A good summary of the examination should obviously include your positive findings, salient negatives, differential diagnoses, and the next step is in your workup. To give you an example, you could say something like, Today I performed a cranial nerve examination on Mr John Smith, a 64-year-old gentleman. Mr Smith was comfortable at rest and there was no gross facial asymmetry or paraphernalia by the bedside suggestive of cranial nerve dysfunction. My main positive finding was a weakness in the muscles of facial expression on the left side, including weakness of the forehead. Sensation to the face was preserved and Mr Smith's hearing was unaffected. My main diagnosis would be a left-sided Bell's palsy, however important differentials to exclude are a stroke and cerebellopontine angle tumour such as an acoustic neuroma, although unlikely. To complete my examination, I would like to examine the upper and lower limbs, arrange an MRI of the brain and cerebellopontine angle, and consider starting a course of high-dose prednisolone. Right folks, that's us done for this not-so-whistle-stop recap of the cranial nerve examination. I hope it's been a useful summary of the cranial nerves, their function, and how to examine them. It goes without saying that the best way to get good at these exams is to practice, practice, and practice some more until you become well-oiled OSCE machines. As always, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to bringing you more episodes in the future. Please remember to subscribe to our show, check out our Instagram page and website for all the latest updates, and share with your friends and family. Thanks. <laughs>